You're listening to the Sped Prep Academy podcast. Your host, Jennifer Hofferberg, is an award-winning veteran special educator who shares her experience, knowledge, and passion to help other special educators survive and thrive in this profession. Join her and other guests as they share tips and tricks of the trade for the ever-crazy, completely overwhelming, laugh-so-you-don't-cry profession of being a special education teacher. Well, hey there, this is Jennifer from the SPED Prep Academy podcast, and this is part four of the Ask a Veteran Special Education Teacher series, and it is the last one for a little bit. We will definitely come back to this type of series at some point because I've had a lot of interest with this topic, but we're going to move on to something new next week. Today's guest is Erica, and she has a few questions that she wants to ask. But before we get to the questions, I'll let her introduce herself and share a little bit about her job and her journey with becoming a special education teacher. So first of all, Jennifer, thank you so much for having me. Um, I really appreciate the opportunity. And my name is Erica. I am 27 years old. I am currently an... um, I've been a parent now for about three years, and I absolutely love my job. Um, I actually decided to go back to school um, to get my, actually, my second master's degree in um, special education teaching, and a lot of that was due to my first year as a para. Um, I was in a classroom of, I believe we had five um, children, I was in ASD um self-contained classroom and I absolutely fell in love with it. And that's kind of where I am now. I knew what I wanted to do. So that's where I am now, almost completing my Well, I am so happy to have you joining us. I haven't had the opportunity to talk to a student teacher yet. So I thank you for offering to ask questions and to be on the show. And I thank you for being flexible and moving the recording dates around a couple of times. I know that it took us a little bit to be able to get this scheduled. So I appreciate that. So let's get to the questions. What do you have for me? So my first question is, what can I expect from my first year as a student teacher, both um, the positive and negative? Because, you know, I know there's going to be obviously some negative to that. Well, I think with any profession, there will be positives and negatives, and it will be different for every teacher. So where I see a positive with administration, someone else might see that as a negative situation, and it very well could be. Or where I see a positive with dealing with certain behaviors, someone else might see it as a total crisis. And being able to change negatives into positives is very important, in my opinion, and I I know that that takes time, experience, and intention. So instead of focusing on the positives and negatives, I'll just let you know what you can expect. And then when it occurs, it'll be up to you to figure out if that's a negative. And if so, how can you spin it into a positive? So first of all, you can expect to see stress this this coming year for you. You're going to, even as a student teacher, you're going to see the stress that the teachers go through. There's no getting around it. And I know as a as a paraprofessional, you I'm sure you've even experienced your own amount of stress in this job. But there there's a lot of paperwork that you're going to see. There's student behaviors, upset parents at times, unhappy administration at times. There are deadlines to meet and lesson plans to create and meetings to attend. As a student teacher, you will also experience pure love for some of these students. And I can still remember 
some of my kids when I student taught, um, Donovan and Jennifer, who were two students that I remember very, very clearly. I had, I remember the unit that I planned for them. I remember the chocolate cupcakes that we celebrated their birthday with. It's just a very surreal experience. So I want you to soak that up as you're doing your student teaching. And when you're learning from a student teacher, just know that you can learn just as much of how you don't want to run your program as as you will or what you can learn from her to run your program. So I don't want you to be naive to think that her way is the only way. So just keep that in mind. And then before I move on to the next question, I do want to say that I have something I need to get off my chest. So I've heard this term lately and I don't necessarily agree with it or buy into it. And that is toxic positivity. As a definition, toxic positivity is prioritizing happiness over everything else, ignoring negative emotions. And the reason I don't really buy into this is because there's nothing wrong with turning a negative experience into a positive one. It's okay to have those negative thoughts, those negative feelings, and to be upset about a student's behavior or the way you know, a parent or an administrator spoke to you. It's okay to be upset. But when you stay in that that mental space for too long, then that's where the issue comes in. And so harboring negative thoughts is unhealthy and complaining to other people about all the negative things in your life just makes it makes your job even that much harder. So I just want you to find somebody that you can vent to and then just let it go. You you have to find your people and and Find your safe space and then, you know, let it all out, vent to each other and then move on. So my second question for you, is there anything that I should know that I haven't been taught in school um, about the field of special education? Well, the main thing I wasn't taught in school was that I was going to have to be a boss to paraprofessionals like yourself someday. I don't think that many colleges have an actual class on how to learn leadership skills or how to communicate effectively, or how to have courageous conversations with them, it's it's a lot harder than you think. Now, with your experience, I think you have a an insight there that um, you can use to be able to make different choices than I made when I was 21 years old. So when I first started, my co-teacher and I had the most amazing paraprofessional. I think she was the only one that we had at that time, but she ran the show for us. She had been there a while and she knew how everything operated. She knew how to get students to do something that we couldn't get them to do. And she was just su- such a blessing. And then it came time to evaluate her. And I remember thinking, I'm not her supervisor. I'm just her coworker. You know, she, I felt more like she was my supervisor at times. So it it was definitely something that I had to learn that I wasn't taught in school And so throughout the years, I've had to do a lot of intentional work in this area to realize that being a boss, per se, isn't the way that I want to run my department. I wanted to work more as a team instead. Right. And I feel that's like very important. So a lot of the interviews that I've been on, um, they really stressed, you know, the teamwork aspect of working you know, not as the boss and more of as a team, not only with paraeducators, but also other, you know, special education teachers and um, other service staff. Yeah, I totally agree. The team aspect is 
the, just the way to go all the way around. Another thing that I had to learn was that I can teach my students more than just what is on their IEP. I can teach them curriculum and not just focus on those two to three skills that are written for their goals. And I've learned that I don't have to progress monitor every single day or even every week. You know, you just have to give your students time to actually learn what you want them to learn and and not just always test, test, test. Right. And then the last thing I wish that they would teach in college is how to actually run an IEP meeting. When you are student teaching, make sure that you're invited to as many meetings as possible, just so that you can get a feel for how they should flow, what should and shouldn't be discussed, you know, just the different norms of a meeting. Because the more you witness, the better that you're going to become at it and the more professional you'll be when it's your turn to run the meeting. Right. I feel like that's where I'm the least confident when it comes to just like, you know, I've heard like so many of my teachers that I work for now and they are just, you know, they even say like they were not prepared for being in IEP meetings. I really feel like I need that preparation. Um, So hopefully with my students teaching, um, hopefully coming up in the very near future, um, I will be getting that. So my next question is like, what are your top tips for like goal writing for IEPs? Because I feel like when, so I've done sample IEPs, but I really feel like I struggled when it came to like writing goals and, you know, even the objectives for them. You know, I've actually reached out for help from actually some of the um, SPED teachers that I work with as a para, you know, for that guidance. But um I just want to know, what are your tips for writing effective goals and objectives? Well, I guess I have a couple of tips for this. The first would be to dig into your data. Use all of the scores that you can find from previous district testing, like map tests or other computerized diagnostic tests. Um, You can drill down on those and find specific skills that your students can't do yet. And this makes it very student-centered instead of having a generic goal for all of your students. And I actually used to write my goals like this way back in the day where every reading student had either sight words as their goal or they had an oral reading fluency probe as their goal. And I just didn't know better. And so I'm glad you asked this question because you want your goals to be specific to the child. You can also look at the information from a survey level assessment. And what a survey level assessment is, is just drilling down to find where the student is struggling using paper and pencil tasks. And I can link the one that I have in my TPT store into the show notes. But basically, you're just finding the levels at which a student's independent level is, where their instructional level is, and where their frustration level is. And then through that, through that information, you will be able to choose a skill that they need to work on. The next tip I have is to determine the progress monitoring piece first. You want to find exactly where, what that piece looks like, and then you can write the goal around that. So you might, so let's take it back a little bit. You have the data, you you notice that they are really struggling with geometry and math. And specifically, they're really struggling with um, just classifying basic shapes, um, just off the top of my head. So go find a 
a worksheet or um, some type of probe that you can give them on a regular basis to progress monitor them. Then once you have that probe, you can easily write the goal by by hitting all of those um, all of those parts of the goal, which is the the criteria, the condition, the skill, the criteria, and the time. And so when you break it down and you make it very specific for the kid, then it, it's so much easier when you have that piece ahead of time. And then my third tip is to use a goal bank. And when I say this, I want you to know that even if you do use a goal bank, you are still going to need to tweak that goal a little bit to meet all of those required areas. And goal banks are great for teachers who are just starting out and they don't have a a good grasp on how to write those goals, but they still need to be tweaked. They still need to be changed a little bit to make them more specific to the students. You're not going to want to find a goal bank and it says, you know, by such and such date, the student will read the passage with 80% accuracy. That's very generic, very basic. And you want to, the child deserves more than that. So you really want to make those goals specific to the individual child. Does that answer your question? Yes. Thank you. All right. Well, that's all the time that we have for today. I thank you so much, Erica, for submitting these questions. And I hope that I answered them well enough. I know that if you have these questions, others are going to as well. All right. Well, thank you again, Jennifer, for having me. We'll talk to you later. If you liked what you heard today and realized you found your SPED soulmate, please subscribe and then head over to spedprepacademy.com slash podcast to check out the show notes and sign up to be notified each time a new episode airs. Go out and have an amazing day, and I'll catch you on the next episode.